0: to find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide.
1: Good morning. You're listening to KUCI
0: 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County. Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning?
1: Well, we are going to be talking about how to reduce anxiety and how to. Really find ways to be mindful and to change your life for the better. And I'm so thrilled today because we are speaking with Bruce Fredenberg, who is an MS and an LMFT with board certification in clinical hypnosis And he is a licensed psychotherapist. And he's right in Laguna Hills, California. And I am so thrilled because I get to see him once a month at a meeting that we all go to. And he is incredibly bright and wonderful. And he is a great therapist. He has extensive training in mediation as well, which is how I know him. That's how I got to meet him. And he is part of an interdisciplinary team and they have a collaborative practice where they help people through divorce. He also is an expert in the management of chronic pain, dealing with trauma and addictions, and he serves as a divorce coach, a child specialist, and a mediator in divorce. He's been a presenter at many different uh, annual meetings, and he also was um, uh, made an appearance on Time Warner Public Television when they did their series, How to Get a Divorce. He's an award winning speaker and he's presented many programs and trainings for professional associations and government agencies, corporations, etc. And um, he is really wonderful. You can find out more about him at conflicthealing.com, where we have his picture. We even have a picture, a JPEG of his anxiety solution CDs, which I've been listening to and I love. And you can also find out about him, his work at uh, healthsolutionsmadeeasy.com and orangecountydivorcecoach.com. So thank you for joining us this morning, Bruce.
0: Hi, Mari. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so these, um, I've been listening to your Anxiety Solution CDs and you also, people can download them as well. So let's talk a little bit about if they don't know what mindfulness, because you do a lot of mindfulness training on these CDs, what is mindfulness so they know what they would be getting into?
0: Uh, Well, mindfulness, they didn't used to use that term. I found that I had been teaching people mindfulness and doing mindfulness solutions. And when I heard the term mindful, I didn't know what people were talking about. (laughs) And then when I found out that they just come up with a different name for it. But it really has, there's a, well, there's a variety of ways to get there. Um, it has to do with slowing your mind down enough to just start paying attention moment by moment to what's going on with you. And people do this in, uh, there's a lot of religious traditions uh, that include meditation practices. And I think that's maybe where the name and the idea first came from. But it's really a process of paying attention to what's going on you can pay attention to your inner conversation you could be taking a walk and actually start to notice the birds chirping i was i was amazed when i was in hawaii and noticed that Sunset. how birds come and they make a lot of noise as they nestle into the trees in the evening. I was under a big banyan tree. Mm -hmm. And then when I came back to my home, at that time I had an office in Long Beach, and I was surprised to hear birds in the trees around my office at dusk. And I wondered to myself, I wonder how many years this has been going on. (laughs) I I never noticed it before. (laughs) And I just thought, I wonder what else I don't notice. And so that's essentially what mindfulness is. It's paying attention And it does things like it interrupts whatever conversation you're having with yourself. And we all talk to ourselves. And so if we have a conversation going that's uh, making us feel edgy and anxious and fearful or shameful, uh, it's good to interrupt that conversation. And then you have an opportunity to shift it. And so um, I used to teach self-hypnosis classes. And so I learned uh, some various techniques that helped people start to notice things and relax their muscles. And then I found it was really a great way to lead people into meditation. So that's mindfulness um, in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. And I know you have these beautiful guided visualizations that you have in your mindfulness CDs. and. It, um, you know, I know you talk about that it has a positive impact on such thing anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, panic attacks, depression. I mean, tell us a little bit about the significant benefits here. Well, one of the,
0: uh, the this program really incorporates two different approaches. There's mindfulness. All right. And then there's also something based on what uh, professionals call cognitive behavioral strategies, which is really a fancy term for paying attention to what you're telling yourself. And it works on the idea that if you can change what you're thinking, you can actually change your life. And so I, one of the things I do is I tell people to notice your self-talk. Um, for example, I, I'll ask people, are your inner conversations are they supporting your hopes or your fears right and so when people who, who they don't like themselves um they'll find that they're criticizing themselves a lot they're judging themselves negatively and when people first start to notice this then they start criticizing themselves for constantly criticizing themselves <laughs> right. Right. Um, but as you can see, oh, that would increase a sense of shame and it creates distance in relationships to keep other people from getting to know them and then they develop facades to cover it up and so they always Feel like if people really knew them, they wouldn't like them. And that causes a part of the brain called the amygdala to uh, start this triggering of a cascade of anxiety and fear and anger uh, creating chemicals. And so putting those two things together, having people spend time Uh, learning how they develop their ideas about life and what happened to them and how they've managed to perpetuate that through their internal conversation, they can learn to turn that off. And then by practicing the guided imageries and visualization, as it turns out, when we get into deeper states of relaxation, our brain actually blocks the receptors for some of the anxiety and anger producing chemicals. And so when that happens, your body is able to just process them out in a normal way. And so a lot of those feelings go away. And, and of course, the more people do this, uh, the easier it gets to do, and also they they need it less. Um, I've discovered that anxiety is really the source of a lot of bad decisions people make. Mm. Uh, Because when we get into a hyper-adrenalized state, The purpose of adrenaline, or one of the purposes, is to force us to look at a problem. And it does that by making us really uncomfortable. Maybe you've had a situation where you're just full of anxiety and you can hardly stand it. And then you feel like you have to do something. And then people will almost always do something that doesn't solve the problem, but does create another problem to deal with. Like the voicemail you wish you hadn't sent or the email you wish you could take back. Um, all kinds of bad situations. So, And when we're in those states, it's almost impossible to generate feelings of caring and compassion and generosity. So when we really get in those states, uh, we're likely to make the very worst decisions
1: possible. Right, right. So we need to be able to bring ourselves out of that state um, as quickly as possible, right?
0: Right, right. And um, when I tell people about talking to themselves, I'll I'll often ask people to raise their hand if you talk to yourself. And a lot of people will raise their hands, but some people don't. And then I always suggest that something like this just happened. Do I talk to myself? Well, no, not really. Well, not enough to raise my hand. Well, no, I'm not going to raise my hand. (laughs) Because while I'm talking right now, everybody's having a conversation with themselves, agreeing with me or disagreeing or it's triggering a memory. And then they're having another conversation with themselves.
1: Right, right. So, and, oh, yeah. So, oh, so
0: the, the the recordings interrupt that conversation. And just interrupting that conversation is the beginning of noticing it and being able to do something about it.
1: Right. And that has a lot to do with emotional intelligence as well, to be able to be self-aware, right?
0: Yes, yes. In, in fact... Um, if you really think about it, uh, life is primarily an emotional experience, not an intellectual one. And, you know, I know that you've been, to, you had a lot of schooling, I had a lot of schooling, so obviously we both value the intellect. But if I played a song on the radio that was popular and reminded you of being 15 years old, I guarantee your first thoughts would not be quadratic equations or conjugating Spanish verbs. <laughs> Uh, You'd be remembering how you felt, how you'd been trained to feel about yourself by your life experiences. Uh, I know that I'd be thinking about who liked me, but even more about who I wanted to like me, but didn't like me. Right, right, right. (laughs) And so, anyway, that really, and so you can change that emotional experience by learning to control your self-talk, because essentially your self-talk generates that emotional experience of your life.
1: Right, right. For me, if I start to say, think of something that's a negative, you know, something will happen, somebody will say something to me and I, I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness. And I I might start to take it personally. And then I have to have the self-talk to say, wait a minute, this is more about them than it is about me. And what, what, what am I learning from this? But I've learned to stop and pause And I think that's the thing, is people don't recognize that they have the power to make choices about what they want to think, right?
0: You're right. And in fact, the first step to getting out of a cage is to notice that you're in one. (laughs) Exactly. And so much of our life, our brains are wired for pattern recognition. And so there's two, two conflicts going on. One is that the it turns out the default position of our brain is calm, caring, and content. Mm. Ah, but why don't I feel that way most of the time, you might ask. Mm. Well, that's because our brain is also wired for survival. And our early ancestors faced a lot of physical dangers. So, for example, if uh, your ancestor was sitting out looking at a sunset, and uh, if there's food and their tribe and families there... And everything's good, and then they hear a twig cl- uh, crack behind them. Mm. Well, it could be a mouse, but it could be the lion, too. Right. And they could never afford not to look to see if it was the lion. <laughs> so now the lion, who's not even there, but might be there, takes on more significance than all the good things that are actually happening in front of them. Right. And so, if and if it ever is the lion, uh, there's a part of the brain called the amygdala which will record. Everything that happens in detail, if it's bad, and so then anything that reminds you of that later on triggers the amygdala, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in uh, a bad mood or a funky mood for no apparent reason, and it's because something triggered that, and thousands and thousands of neurons light up at the same time looking for the pattern of danger so they can recognize it.
1: Right, so I mean, the amygdala is good when there's a real danger. <laughs>
0: yes, it's essential when
1: there's a real danger. <laughs> but when but when everything becomes a danger, then you're constantly in that fight, flight, or freeze, or run away, or whatever. Right. <laughs> right.
0: Right. And and I know you've met Mark Waldman. I think you studied with, with yeah, Mark. yeah. And and he talks about cortisol, which is uh, it, uh, released by the brain when the when the amygdala gets aroused right. out of fear. And he used the analogy that cortisol is like hydrochloric acid to the hippocampus. Mm. And the hippocampus is uh, a a center of emotions in the brain. And what happens is when it gets uh, hammered by cortisol over time, it starts to shrink and it rolls up on itself. And so people get stuck in anger and depression and they can't get out of it because they've damaged their hippocampus. The good news is that that's a part of the brain that can repair itself if you can get it to stop constantly, the brain to stop hammering it with cortisol all the time. And so there's uh, techniques people can use to train their brains to um, go away from that negative bias and start noticing what's working in their life.
1: Right. So for those um, people who are listening right now, can we do a couple of those techniques? Sure,
0: sure. One of them is is really, really simple. Uh, I suggest people, uh, before they go to sleep at night, write out 100 things that they're grateful for that day. Hmm. And a lot of people will say, well, 100 things? I don't have 100 things. And I don't even know them, and I could think of a hundred things. but <laughs> the, the, one of the examples would be, I, I don't know if uh, if when you were a, a student, if you ever had a car that didn't always start when you wanted it to. <laughs> but if you remember when it didn't start, you weren't surprised, but you were really grateful when it did. Right. Well, now, when I go out in the parking lot and turn the key, I'm already thinking where I'm going. I don't expect the car not to start. But it w- it's worthwhile to take a moment to be grateful for that. And, and the reason is, if you make it a big list like 100, it could even be the same things every day if you, as long as you take time to appreciate them. But mm. what it does is it becomes such a task, you start looking for anything that qualifies. <laughs> For example, my my right hand's working good. My left hand's working good. I don't have any back pain. Um, I'm not having a bad hair day. Uh, My car runs. Um, I had food today. I've got food in the cupboard. And so anything that qualifies, and so what it does, it makes you start looking for things that are working during the day so that you can write them down at night and not have to do this list. And over about 30 days, you start getting in the habit of noticing what's really working in your life.
1: Beautiful. Well, you know, my husband and I, every night before we go to sleep, we each tell each other three things that we're grateful for. And it doesn't have to be about the other person. It's like, gee, I'm grateful we had that great dinner tonight. Or, gee, I'm I'm grateful that we went out with our friends and we had a lot of fun. So he'll say three things and then I'll say three things. And that's just a a real positive way to go to sleep.
0: Oh, what a great... Great ritual you two have. That, yeah. that reminds me of something else too, and that's one of the things I suggest to people in relationships when their relationships are in trouble. Um, and and you guys have built this in. Uh, you may be familiar with the five to one ratio.
1: Yes. 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 And I'll, I'll
0: explain <laughs> just in case people aren't. It turns out uh, for, for an intimate relationship like a marriage. You need to have five positive interactions for every negative interactions or your bonds start to dissolve. Right. Because you start to, at the beginning of a relationship, when the person's not around, we think of them with a longing. But if we've been together for a while and our last several encounters were arguments or criticism or bad uh, conversations, when the person's not around, when we think of them, it's with a wince instead of a longing. Right. And so a way to overcome that is to have fun things that you like to do together or meaningful things like your ritual in which you actually take time out to do some positive things. And, and the thing you described to do with your husband, that would carry a big emotional punch. So that would be an especially great activity for solidifying your relationship.
1: Yeah, you know... Uh I'm I'm very much into all of that myself. And, you know, I, I wrote my own book on on fighting for love and turn conflict into intimacy. So I try and practice what I preach. So we say, we are very grateful and we say every grateful to each other all the time. We say, thank you. I'll say, thank you, honey. He, you know, he took a check to the bank for me and I'll say, oh, thank you so much for doing that. Or thank you for making dinner. Or, thank you for, you know cleaning up with me or thank you for cooking with me or thank you for whatever it is i just say thank you all the time it's on my mind to thank you or and i'll say things to him like oh you look so cute tonight or something like that and i and sometimes he'll say to me well you know i think i thought you looked really good but i didn't say anything i said well why don't you say something <laughs> you know So he knows to do that. You know, I'll say, oh, you look so handsome. And then he'll say, well, you look beautiful. And even though we're getting older, I guess we can, our eyes get worse so we can keep saying that. But, yeah, we do, I, I know it's so important. And another thing I've really learned, Bruce, is that I don't say the word you with something negative ever. So I don't say, like, oh, that, you know, you were you were so wrong to do that, or I don't say you. Um, The only time I use you when I'm talking to him is saying something positive, like, oh, you look handsome, or you're so kind, or that was, you you know, you're you're so good to other people. I really appreciate that. Um, But when it's something negative, I say an I message, like, I really would be grateful if you'd help me and take out the garbage tonight. Instead of, you oh, didn't take yeah. out the garbage. right? Oh, what a
0: great way to, to, to nurture your marriage. Uh, that's the, one of the things a lot of people forget, because people get busy. And, uh, and what, when you're saying your husband was thinking you look good, but he didn't say anything. Right. I, I was thinking, uh, for a lot of couples, everybody gets really busy. But no matter how busy we are, there are certain family business conversations that we have to have. And people always take time for those because you have to. And the subject is almost never, honey, what are we going to do with all this money? <laughs> it, it, it uses, How are we going to pay our bills? <laughs> right. It's usually something negative. And right. so, well, this, but they don't, we often don't take time to do what you just described. If, And, you know, there's, and so if we're going to be telling people the things that are, are not so pleasant, we have to, re, you know, there's no reason to hide the good stuff. We have to go out of our way to do it. and. It's interesting, too, because it occurred to me one time uh, before I learned about the negative bias of the brain that probably on the worst day of my life, and and we've all had difficult days, but Mm -hmm. probably the worst day still, probably between 94 and 96 percent of everything in my life was going well. Like, for, you know, I had a place to live, I had food, I was healthy, my body was working, um, you know, all the stuff we take for granted. So right, right. if you added it all up, 94 to 96% was working well, and maybe 4% was doing terrible. But if you could have heard my inner conversations, you would swear the ratio was totally flipped. Right,
1: right. Isn't that true? <laughs>
0: yeah. And so it takes effort to, to not do that to ourselves, and, and even more importantly, not to do it to
1: our mate. Exactly. You know, it made me think of like when I do a speaking engagement, I always get these uh, evaluations afterwards. So I could get like 500 that are like, oh, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. It's great. And then I get one or two that somebody doesn't like it. And boy, what do I focus on? I focus on the one or two that, that I know. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. And then I have to say to myself, well, you know, you don't know if they're having a bad day. You don't know if they just don't like the subject matter, you know? I remember one time doing a program for the State Bar on Mindfulness, and there were like 250 people in there, and there were a lot of young people that really got it, and there were some people that were older that they thought it was, you know, what are you bringing mindfulness into, you know, the legal profession? And um, and so I had some negative ones, and, you know, I, I had all these wonderful glowing ones, and then I had like five really crummy ones, and I thought what did I focus on? And then I have to say to myself, well, wait a minute, where are they coming from? You know? So it's, it, it is hard. It is hard if it, you know, it's like a punch in the stomach and, and you have to kind of re, re, um, you know, reinvent yourself and say, wait a minute and, and talk to yourself and remind yourself, wait a minute, what's going on with you here? (laughs)
0: I know exactly what you mean. I do the same thing. And I, one time it occurred to me, if I had rearranged my talk to satisfy the five or 10 people who didn't like me, Mm -hmm. the other hundred wouldn't have benefited from what I did. And the other people, the ones who didn't like me might get to the point where they just didn't not like me as much. (laughs) Right, right, right. But they still wouldn't like me. They just wouldn't hate me.
1: Right, right. So I, yeah, it is the self-talk is so important, but we started talking about relationships and I know that you do what I do also is you work as a mediator with divorcing couples. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we talked about, um, you know, we see all these failing relationships, which helps us to know what doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So, um, what kind of, uh, Suggestion Do you have for people who, you know, we're sitting on the campus at the University of California, Irvine? We have people driving by that are married or in relationships or they're divorced. Um, What are a couple things we talked about, you know, the five to one ratio? Mm -hmm. What are some other really important things that help a relationship to last? Well, actually, I'm really glad
0: that you asked me that question. I know that sounds like a set-up answer, but I really <laughs> am. Um, my wife and I just celebrated our 39th wedding anniversary last month. Oh, congratulations. And, was, uh, and I've only been married the one time. Thank you. Thank you. And I was a stepfather, and I'm now, I also have a granddaughter now. Mm. And, and I, my, my title of my license is Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. So I, I know it from practical experience, and I know it from a professional version. And years ago, I used to write a column for a singles newsletter, and people asked me what makes a relationship last. And I figured out there's four things. That if you have these four things, um, things will work out. And, and now I can even explain some of them neurologically, because there's been so many advancements in neuroscience. But Here they are in no particular order. Uh, There needs to be, at least initially, some kind of physical attraction between the two people. Uh, You know, you can rekindle it if it's faded, which can happen in a long-term relationship. People get busy, ups and downs, but you can rekindle it. But I I don't know how easy it is to kindle it if you never had it. So that (laughs) seems to be important for a lasting one. Uh, The other one is, or one of the other ones, is a commonality of values. And what I mean by that is what's worth sacrificing for and what's not. For example, if one of you wanted to have the house with the circular driveway and the oceanfront house in Hawaii, unless you're clever enough to have chosen rich parents, you're probably going to be working 60 or 70 hours a week, both of you, in order to do that. (laughs) And if one of you wanted closeness and time together, and one wanted the, the big house and the place in Hawaii, the one who doesn't get what they wanted, what they really valued, is going to resent it later on. So unless they can come to terms and embrace the value so they've got a commonality there, um, because if, if, if both of them want it, they're going to be fine with not being seen each other. But you know how it is. If you don't right. see your husband, you miss him. Right, right. Okay. Uh, other thing is, uh, and I... This is proven by the five to one ratio. You need to have a few things, at least a few things that you both like to do together that you both always enjoy. Mm -hmm. And because then you've got like it might be going out to dinner, it might be travel, it might be movies. Um, It can be sex, but it can't be just sex because after a while people, you know, that that glue loses some of its novelty after a while. But if there's things you both like to do, then you're always going to be feeding that five to one ratio. And then the last thing is tolerance. And tolerance isn't license. You know, it's like it's not that they get to gamble away the house money and things like that. But something like who squeezes the toothpaste in a certain way or whether the person's messier than you want them to be or doesn't clean up. If that's not a deal breaker for you in the relationship, then you shouldn't keep going to that because, you know, you want to ask yourself, is that the hill I want my relationship to die on? Right. Because you'll be adding more negative interactions to overcome. So if you have those four things, I found that uh, a relationship will generally work out and and last.
1: Well, that's beautiful because we're almost out of time. So we got another minute, so that was a perfect place to end. So um, what else do you think? um, Well, let me think because I I have so many wonderful questions asked, but it's going to be way too long. (laughs) So, what about, I have friends who are single. Can you just give me, like, in about a minute, some things to do if you're single? I can.
0: I can. There's two things that I I find really helpful for people. Number one is, uh, have a short list of things that are non-negotiable for you. And your list wouldn't have to be the same as my list. If, well, if somebody had had a series of uh, abusive relationships, especially physical violence, or they're constantly picking people with addiction problems, then that should probably be on their list. That's a non-negotiable. If they meet somebody who's got that, they, they want to not get into that relationship. But, right, but right. if you haven't had that in your history, you wouldn't need it. But like it might be somebody who gets your sense of humor. Or somebody who likes the same music you like, so they can dance. If they don't, or if I don't like smoking, so I'd have a hard time with a smoker. And if you meet somebody who's wonderful in every other way, but they have one of those non-negotiables, it's better to walk away at the beginning because it's much harder when you're really that are into your life. But if you've convinced yourself you can make that work, and that doesn't change by your own definition you've sentenced yourself to hell
1: yeah well that's perfect i want to give your website so that people can find you and they can pick up this anxiety solution if they think that this would be really wonderful for them so we've got your two websites and and
0: actually the the, if they were to email me at at bruce at health solutions made They could email me at that email, and I would tell them how they can purchase or get get more information on it, get Mm -hmm. a download, or I could send them an article that I'd like to send people if they're interested called How to Be the Most Joyful Person You Know. Tell
1: me before you would do that as a gift. So yes. they can go to orangecountydivorcecoach.com or Bruce, they can email you at bruce at com. Bruce, thank you so much. It's time to go and we will keep in touch and I'll see you very soon. Thank you, Mari. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at Conflicts